I'd like to thank, uh, thank everybody for coming out to the panel here. We're going to be talking all ages comics with some really great creators up on the, uh, the panel here. Uh, my name's Adam. I do a podcast called The Dollar Ben, and uh, we're going to be recording this panel as well as a few other panels. It's at thedollarben.net. Uh, so for everybody that's missing this panel that's going to be awesome, you can feel free to share the link with them and let them know what they could have been a part of. Um, I guess first off, let's go down the table because there's quite a few of you, and uh, let's introduce ourselves. I guess we'll start with uh, Royden. Okay. Uh, my name is Royden Lepp, and I do a book called Rust. Thank you. Hi, I'm Joey Weiser. I'm the author of the Merman graphic novel series. I also contribute to SpongeBob Comics and a few other things. Volume three is Eisner nominated. Hopefully yeah. Eisner will. Oh, yeah, the Eisner nominated <laughs> graphic novel series. <laughs> I'm Jason Horn. I do uh, Ninjasaur. It's about a dinosaur that's a ninja. And also, you did some stuff in All Yeah Comics, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I have a, there's a four page Ninjasaur story in uh, All Yeah Comics. Cool. Uh, I'm Mike Mayhack, and I'm the author of Cleopatra in Space, which is pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> does it take place in space? It does. It does Who's the main like character? Cleopatra. Uh, <laughs> oh. uh, I'm Joey Ellis, and I have one book, and this is it, so it's really expensive. Uh, this is Leaky Timbers. Uh, my name is Jeremy Whitley. I write a series called Princeless, and uh, I also... Right occasionally for My Little Pony for IDW and some other stuff. Awesome. <laughs> um, the first thing I want to talk to you guys about is because this is an all ages panel, I want to ask you about your target audience when you're writing. So, do you consider um, your audience when writing as all ages, or is it? Uh, so, what do you guys think about when you're writing these things? Um, I uh, I always just kind of wrote the kind of comics that I naturally wrote, and then they were then they were being categorized as all ages. Um, and so with Merman, uh, which I was going to sort of more specifically gear towards younger readers, I it was pretty easy to lean a little bit more in that direction. But for the most part, it's basically just the kinds of comics I'd be making anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's probably what most people are going to say is that this is kind of, we didn't set out and say, I want to do a book for kids or a book for all ages or whatever. We just kind of go with what the stories that we want to tell. And I, I have the same answer with Rust. I just started writing it not knowing if or how it was going to get published really. And uh, um, it was the publisher that said, you know, if you took out like these two panels that are slightly violent, <laughs> it would be an all ages book. And I was like, Oh, really? <laughs> and then when I read it through those eyes, I was like, oh, yeah. And that's the thing I'm most proud about about my book is that I've got kids that love it. And I also have adults that don't know that kids, you know, that this is a book for kids as well. So, yeah. Yeah. As I, when I started Cleopatra in Space, I didn't intend it to, like, I actually intended for a little older uh, audience than, than kids. But then when I started the graphic novel series and noticed how many kids are really into it and, like, kind of the responsibility that that entails, um, I, I do, I am conscious of it a lot more. There's a scene in, um, or a sequence in the third book that I'm working on now uh, where she goes to like a bar, like a CD kind of dive bar kind of place, 
And um, I had to write it in a way that wasn't sort of um, making it look like she's uh, encouraging any sort of <laughs> acts that um, you know, kids might, you know, want, might want to uh, participate in. So, um, so I think it, actually I had it written one way, and then you know, my, my editor came back and said, you know, maybe it's a little too edgy. Uh, reworked it and ended up being like a way better, funnier scene than how it originally was. So I think um, sometimes it forces you to be even a little bit more creative in, and make a better book uh, based on just thinking that way and thinking in terms of you know your audience and things like that. I, I think my answer to this is probably a little bit different in that um, you know part of why I set out to do Prinzless the the way it is is. Um, I was I was looking for something in comics that I could share with my daughter, um, because you know I wanted something that had a, a positive portrayal of like a, a female character who was a heroine, somebody who looked like her, so you know was you know dark skinned and um, somebody who had you know all those elements that I would want her to see in a character, and I I couldn't find what I was looking for, so you know I, I kind of set out to make it with her in mind, um, but like that said I. With that and with other comics, I kind of I write the kind of stuff that I would want to read. Like, I don't I don't want to read a lot of grim and gritty and dark stuff in my comics. Like, I I want comics that are fun, and that's that's what I set out to do. So, like, Princess has a lot of jokes that are are definitely more aimed toward parents, and uh, I think uh, My Little Pony is is kind of notable in that way as well. And that like it's easy for parents to forget that they're reading a book about pastel ponies. Um, and you know, really, just enjoy it for the the quality of the the writing and the jokes in it. So, when you guys are writing that, like for instance, do you can do you think about how is a child going to react to this? Is a kid going to get this when you when you put jokes in, or do, like do you target like kids jokes, or do you target parent jokes, hoping that like hey, the parent might get this, but the kid might not? I mean, kids are kids are good. They're smarter than the parents. So, <laughs> so I always I'm always like. When I'm thinking about it, it's like, oh, kids are going to catch this if I don't make this, you know, like a little bit more more intelligent than what it is. Because um, yeah, they they'll they'll catch it. They'll t- and they'll 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 call you out on it too. <laughs> They're like, why is this this way? And so, at a show, at your table, at, they like, will come to your table. I, I like your They're the most honest critics you could possibly have. Yeah. They're they're awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're really like so. Yeah, you know, Cleo was doing this in one panel. The next panel, she's the you know, it's the, it's like when you watch a movie and like it, it switches off since nighttime. You're like, when did that happen? You know, <laughs> um, they catch that quicker, I think, than adults do sometimes. Yeah, the first first big signing I ever did, I had a, a little girl that came up to my table and seemed like ultra nervous to talk to me. And then her parents were like. Hey, you had a question you wanted to ask him, and like she pulls out like a legal pad. And was like, <laughs> <laughs> so. Adrian is sixteen. Why? It's like, oh, uh, okay. Uh, hold on. Yeah, I gotta you have to be ready. <laughs> yeah, you have to be prepared. You're serious. Do you guys get more response from kids or from parents? Like, who comes to your tables? Is it is it all ages that you guys are getting? Uh, yeah. yeah, I. It's you know, um, it is all ages that I get. Um, but it's been really exciting to see. Uh, how much the kids do like the books, like it, the sort of I tend to, you know, draw some big, fun, bright characters on the covers and stuff, and so uh, a lot of times when the parents are kind of doing something else, the kid will wander towards my table, and that's always satisfying. <laughs> um, 
Can we talk about uh, your influences a little bit? Uh, I will say inevitably in every all-ages panel that I've listened to in preparation, Calvin and Hobbes comes up. <laughs> so uh, we can get that out of the way. Um, do you guys want to talk a little bit about your influences? Yeah, um, I love Calvin and Hobbes. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock Calvin and Hobbes. Um, Rust is kind of a big, epic, serious, even a little bit sad story. I think that's the one thing I'm missing from a lot of other all ages titles. It's not actually very humorous. It's a, it's I'm kind of trying to make an epic out of it. So I think I'm a little bit more influenced by film that I've seen. Um, I know it sounds really weird, but people are like, oh, they're like Rocketeer. This is a jetpack, right? And I'm like, yeah, I love the Rocketeer, but that actually wasn't in my mind when I sat down and drew Jet Jones for the first time. Um, and, and then they say, well, it's like Iron Giant. And I'm like, yes, also a great film. I don't mind being compared to those at all. But I wasn't thinking that's, that's not what was kind of fueling my fire when I sat down to draw, it. I, to draw this book. I... I uh, I was pretty influenced at the time that I started it by Kazu Kibishi's work, the way he drew and the way he told stories. He was really free with uh, the stuff he did with Daisy Cutter, and that influenced me probably more than anything. Um, but like, you know, my favorite movie of all time is Terminator 2. That's, <laughs> that's not all ages. It's a good movie. Yeah, but, but the way the story is structured and the surprises that come throughout and, and the way it pays off, you know, those are things I thought about when I was doing Rust and trying to transfer that human emotion and um, sense of family to a story like this. So. Uh, yeah, comics-wise, comics I have influences from kind of three main kind of different quadrants of the comics world. Like, comic strips were my first love, and Charles Schultz is probably my biggest influence from there. And indie comics uh, is another uh, kind of thing that I love. And, and Jeff Smith is a huge, she's possibly my biggest influence. Uh, Bone is amazing, if anybody here hasn't read it, which I doubt. <laughs> but uh, And then um, I'm also really into Japanese comics, manga, and um, I have a lot of influences there. But the biggest one is probably Akira Toriyama. He did Dragon Ball and Dr. Slump and some other things. Koa is a really great all-ages book that he did. I think uh, kind of like what he was saying with the Rocketeer, uh, I, I didn't think about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at the time when I created Ninjasaur, but it's pretty obvious that a green you know, skin reptilian ninja, you'd think I would have thought of that, but I, I really didn't. But I mean, that's, you know, I, I grew up watching cartoons, not really uh, reading comics. So I, uh, cartoons were kind of the, my main influence. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and even like Samurai Jack was even more of a, an influence on me more than anything. And, uh, you know, comics-wise, anything from, you know, Kirby Comics to, uh, you know, to Bone. And, uh, you know, all the stuff that my friends do, all these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, well, for Cleopatra in Space, um, I really wasn't uh, influenced a lot by, like, Egyptian, sort of, like, ancient Egyptian history and stuff and, like, until I started drawing it. And then I kind of had to, <laughs> based on the subject matter um it was more um my love of like old sci-fi like i was i've, I've loved sci-fi ever since i was a kid um like uh the, the star trek you know is, is a huge influence and you read the book it's very star trekky 
um, you know, Buck Rogers and even Flash Gordon, things like that. Like him, like Flash Gordon, you know, like normal guy kind of <laughs> becoming, having to become uh, what he is in, the, in uh, like a different galaxy. Um, but then like kind of that with all my love of um, cartoons, uh, I'm a huge, I love Chuck Jones. So I grew up watching tons of Chuck Jones and Looney Tunes, um, Batman the Animated Series. Um, I think my backgrounds and stuff are very influenced um, through that, which is in turn kind of influenced by like Jack Kirby. So there's a lot of that that sort of filters into the, the story. Um, and then just style-wise, Jeff, Jeff Bone is why I even probably am making comics to begin with, mm-hmm. um, with some scattered manga influence in there and um, all sorts of things. But it's really more, it's more influenced by like animation and TV and um, all the stuff I watched as a kid. And, uh, and then character-wise, like my, I was huge into X-Men, but Kitty Pride was my favorite character. So um, there's a lot of that sort of smart Alec <laughs> kind of qualities that I remember reading of her because um, she just she wouldn't put up with anything when she was the, one of the younger members of the X Men and she was very stubborn and um, but very good at what she did and um, people always talk about like so great to see a, a strong female character like they existed they were they were around you know it's just um, uh, and if anybody's read uh, Batgirl Year One which is one of the best um you know best miniseries i've ever read um that's a that's big influence too so there's a lot of mesh and a lot of things that just kind of filtered in that you don't even think about when you start writing the book you just start thinking about what you want to see because that's what you were into um so that's that's you know that's that's my answer i'm done well done done. (laughs) i really like the muppet show um i really spent a lot of time growing up on things like sesame street and and a lot of things that Jim Henson and his his people worked on. And the thing that always struck me about that is he didn't try to create a world. In other words, you know, you had Kermit the Frog, and he didn't say, well, now we have to have this world set in a frog world, and everything has to be on the perspective of a frog. He was in a relationship with a pig, and then I don't know what Gonzo is. And... He just created personas and then uh, just mapped a look to them. And then they just all coexisted. And I just loved that. It was absurd. You had, you know, on Sesame Street, Big Bird was, you know, seven feet tall. Who cares? And he's hanging out with Snuffleupagus, who I don't know what he is. He's not a mammoth. And he's, I don't know what he is, but he just is. But he looks perfect. He looks like that's how he should look like. And I just love the absurdity of that. And I think... Uh, for me, it's much easier to write a world where there are no rules that you really have to stick to. You just develop uh, personalities with big heart, and they just look good together, and they just exist, and you don't think too hard about it. Um, I really liked that stuff. I like things like um, Gravity Falls and SpongeBob. and I think, too, nowadays we're getting into this age of cartoons that don't pander to kids. Um, I think in the 90s when my sister was growing up, uh, you know, in the, in the 80s when I was growing up, we had everything from, you know, spaceships and robots and ninjas and stuff like that. But when my sister was growing up, she had a lot of things that were just so, I don't want to say brain dead, but it was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we have to sit here and watch this. And nowadays with things like Adventure Time and Regular Show and 
there are things in there that, yes, they're for kids, but they're also entertaining for adults. And I just really appreciate people that work on shows like that because I've got to be on the sofa with them. So why not make my experience just as enjoyable? Um, and, you know, with books, I love reading to my kids. I've got two boys. And I can't tell you how many times we sat down to read a book, and it was awful. And it was just a – it was all I could do to sit there and get through this book. And so I just said, you know, we've got to make something where I can enjoy it. And I might even read it by myself, but the kids will enjoy reading it. We'll enjoy reading it together and, and spend time. And I'm sure all these guys are the same way. Um, so, yeah, that was – I think Jim Henson probably my, my biggest influence and all the stuff that influenced these guys too. And Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to be influenced by a lot of things that, um, like, they, they feel like they're for kids, but they have stuff for adults in them or vice versa. Like, they feel like Jim Henson, other Jim Henson stuff is, is like that, too, that, like, it feels like it's for adults but has Muppets in it, like like Dark Tower or uh, Dark Crystal and... Uh, you know, like you look at stuff like Labyrinth that like it has this darkness that like a lot of kids stuff seems to be afraid of, um, afraid of having, but like that kids really go for. <laughs> um, and like, I, I love that kind of stuff and, and things like uh, things like the princess bride, which like I loved as a kid it's and the best movie of all time. Yeah. And like, I watch it now as an adult and I'm like, how did I enjoy this as a kid? I didn't understand half of this stuff, mm-hmm. but like as a kid, I, you know, I, I still loved that, that movie, um, you know, things, things like that. And, um, I think now, uh, you know, adventure time is a, a good example. Uh, my daughter and I have recently started watching Steven universe, which like has, is a fun kids show that has like so much depth behind it that, you know, you see, they, they kind of let you have peaks of the mythology in between. And you're like, wow, <laughs> there's a lot to this. I thought I was watching a goofy kid show over the first few episodes. No, it's a lot, a lot deeper than that. And, um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, uh, both the avatar series, last mm-hmm. airbender and Korra yeah. that have, you know, they have that sense of fun, but at the same time, there really is like there are serious consequences and serious bad guys and serious conflicts, and uh, you know they don't shy away from that just because it's something that is ostensibly aimed toward kids. And uh, My Little Pony Friendship's Magic does that to some extent as well, and that like they have some big serious conflicts and they have a lot of jokes that are uh, you know kids will appreciate but adults will appreciate on an entirely different level. Um, I like. Stuff with good writing that it doesn't talk down to kids is is great. I think I think that's the big difference too between like an all ages um, like material and kids material is the consequences. Um, I mean, you could have a kid show and you know, things happen, and you know the next week everything's resolved, everything starts over again. But when you have a show that's something, there's repercussions for what they the characters are actually doing. Um, I mean, Avatar court characters actually died on the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that resonates not only for the adults, but kids gives kids something real, and they respond to that that sort of like realness, you know, because they, you know, they're they're living in the real world, you know, yeah. So they're going to grow up with that. So I think that's I think that's one of the biggest, you know, the biggest differences. Yeah, I think kids stuff that has has a little heft or a little a little darkness in it. Like you know, I was I was really attracted to Tolkien stuff when I was a kid, and like that has just that that sense of impending doom and everything that, you know, 
uh, it's, it's just there, just behind everything the whole time. You mentioned, like, I mean, Labyrinth is for like that, the Dark Crystals like that, Legend. I mean, all those were things of like early 80s kid stuff was dark. Yeah. It was really dark. I think we all kind of we all kind of come from that generation too. Mm-hmm. We grew up. We were. I mean, we're all sort of '80s kids. <laughs> I think that's like. Well, I think why we're seeing a lot of that sort of resurgence of that because like now we're we're the generations creating stuff. So you're seeing a lot of it kind of peak. And even the movies, the same way, we're seeing a lot of stuff that's sort of coming up from when we were kids. Yeah, talking about like dark um, movies or like dark tones to stories. Like I remember some of the big, the movies that had the biggest impact on me, like The Secret of Nim. Oh yeah, they yeah. they wouldn't make a movie like that anymore. No. You know, like that was that was fun, scary. It wasn't even CGI. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't make that anymore. But that and Dark Crystal, like those are the ones that really stuck with you at just the right age when mm-hmm. you were, you know, you were just a little bit scared, but not too scared to shut it off. You wanted to keep watching and see what happened. And maybe it was too old for my younger sister or something like that. But for us, that kind of emotion affected us so deeply that those are the movies that we remembered. Yeah. 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 And I think the reason that we're getting things like Adventure Time regular show and even stuff from Pixar, it's, you know, where it's kind of made for everyone. It's because it's people from our generation that grew up with stuff like Jim Henson and stuff. They're they're now they're the ones making the things that that we're getting to see on Cartoon Network that are just amazing that we like we basically got, you know, toy commercial cartoons like the Ninja Turtles <laughs> Like, there was a lot of fun to be had there, but they were, and He-Man is, is I mean, it's essentially a, a commercial for the figures, but now we're getting these amazing stories because we can do more. We can, you know. We're in control now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of you guys brought up Bone, and I know Mike had talked about his his uh, scene in Cleopatra in Space with the bar, and uh, we, we all tend to consider Bone a very all-ages book. Mm-hmm. But there is discussion about the drinking and the smoking <laughs> that takes place in Bone because a lot of it takes place in a bar. Where and it gets guys... real violent towards the end as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. Where do you guys stand on like that as an all ages thing? I mean, is, is it like where you said you wanted to tune down your bar scene a little bit? Bone doesn't really do that. Well, it's it's a difference between like showing something and then um, a character's sort of um, desire to do something, and I think that's where the difference lies. Um, you have you have a responsibility, I think, as your as your character that these are these are the these are the characters that kids are going to respond to. Um, so let's say like you know you know like you know bone like there's there's drinking, but there's not sort of a there's not like this we have to drink. You know, I want to drink. You know, and like Thorn, who's the hero, pretty much of of the series. You never see her <laughs> going in there and. And, and into a bar, but like it, it works with Smiley because he's sort of an antagonist. Yeah, uh, not Smiley. I'm sorry, Pony. So um, and with the bones, it's sort of unclear what their ages. Yeah, that is. too. So you know they're fun characters, but you could say that they're adults. Yeah, but it goes if you don't show if you don't have those again those the kind of repercussions and things. If you don't show something that's real, like the violence at the end, there would be no sense of. Um, like death to the, the story it would just feel it would fall flat and and kids would recognize that you know like it's like i got kind of you know there i felt there should have been more you know and that's why it, i think it's okay i think that you know they're going to grow as they as they read the story 
That's kind of where I stand, at least. I think it's okay. You just have to be careful about how you depict it. Yeah, and it's it's a tough question because everyone's families have different standards for what they think is appropriate for their kids, and I think that to some extent it's okay to just say, I'm going to make the work I make and put it out there, and then it's up to you to decide whether or not it's appropriate for your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, you know, within reason, it's, <laughs> you, you can kind of, it, it, there's sort of that sort of like, know it when you see it type thing where it's just you 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 get an idea of of like this feels a little uh too much and it's just kind of a gut instinct you know uh but if you were worried about pleasing everyone you'd end up with nothing mm-hmm. on kind of the other side i find myself on often is looking at people's books that they're either pitching or they're looking to get out to a wider audience and overall it's a good book but they I have like maybe one curse word in there, like mm. a character says damn it or something like that. And it it's just like if you just cut that out, you're you're gonna open more doors for yourself, you know. And I encourage creators to edit themselves a little bit when they you need to write the story you want to write, but then it's like, you know, there's a great book that um Archaea published from it's a French translation called Billy Fogg. And it's like Edward Gorey meets Calvin and Hobbes, like it's this really beautifully illustrated like really kind of disturbing little story about a boy and uh there's a couple like you know disturbing but humorous to adults like scissors in the eye moments and stuff like that that's like it's not even humorous to me no yeah it's not even i mean in in the context of the book it's like uh it's a really dark tim burtony feeling thing you know and there's a few drawings i was like man if you just lighten this up a little bit it would it would be funny and dark in a kid way but he just took it a little too far a couple of times and that closes the door to a big audience and i think that you have to think about those things i think um, that's where a good editor comes into yeah if you're if, you know if you're working with a lot of a lot of the um a lot of the publishers out there just they have got amazing editors and their responsibility isn't to write the book for you but to kind of point those things out or yeah. and give you suggestions and things so um, I don't think I don't think their you know recognition gets credited enough. Um, there's definitely there's I don't think there's no way that, that Cleopatra be the book that it is without the editor that I have, and because we work as, so well as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, likewise with Russ, my edit Russ wouldn't be half the book it is without my editor. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mine just keeps sort of rising through the ranks at, at, at Scholastic, and I'm like, just, just stay with me. Don't, don't get, don't go too far. You know, I, like I'm happy for you, but don't I, go away. I just, just lost my editor to Batman. Oh no! <laughs> I'm like no. Uh, we talked about your kind of your books. You guys have we have most of them out on display here, and uh, we talked about your influences. Can we talk a little bit about kind of how you got? where you are now like what came before rust like what what led up to this yeah sure i know these stories could probably get lengthy so i'll try to keep mine short but um i wanted to get into comics and i didn't know how to do it i just decided i was going to start drawing a comic and i was going to self-publish it and it was called david a shepherd song it was about the biblical character david fantastic oh thank you somebody brought copies for me to sign this weekend which is crazy um so that ended up being published by a come-and-go publisher that was real small for a year. Uh, but that got me something that I could hand to other publishers. Um, Zondervan, a division of HarperCollins, read David and asked if I had any other pitches, and I pitched them Rust. 
and worked with them for a few years without releasing anything. And then they closed the graphic novel division. And then I took a year off and shopped Russ around to other publishers in San Diego and ended up going with Arkea. So um, it's, it's, there's a lot more detail in the story and drama than that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it was kind of a fun ride. And it was, it was all based on doing a whole bunch of work up front and then having a publisher say, what do you have to show me? And being able to show a bunch of pages like this is what I have. And uh, that was, it was satisfying that way. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a like linear A to B to C story. So I'll just, it's kind of hard. There, I've tried a lot of different stuff. I, I guess the easiest way to track my story to getting to Merman is I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design, and from there I discovered things like mini comics, making your own handmade comics and things like that. And I started going to lots of conventions where I would sell and trade and hand those out. And um, I met editors and fellow cartoonists over the years and different work from like, I used to do a lot of anthologies, like the flight anthologies and things like that. Um, and I, you know, dipped my toe in web comics and stuff like that. <laughs> my first graphic novel is called The Ride Home, and that was published by Ad House Books in 2007. And um, he, I actually knew because my very first published work was in the SPX anthology in 2004 that Chris Pitzer, the uh, man behind Ad House Books, uh, helped edit that book. So he and I kind of knew each other that way. Um, and yeah, with Merman, I was making them as mini comics actually. And um, between the first and second issue, uh, my friend Chris Schweitzer, that does the Krogan Adventures series, um, said that he'd like to, he like gave me the contact to his editor, and uh, I talked with him, and they they um, set me up with a different editor, uh, Jill Beaton at Oni, and she was really instrumental in suggesting like that I tried to do it as a full color series and a lot of other things that ended up getting uh, getting Oni on board with uh, publishing the work. So I really appreciate her for uh, for believing in it. Um, well, I, I grew up, you know, theoretically always wanting to make comics. And uh, I went to art school and, you know, did some things here and there, but never really... Uh, made an actual comic just kind of drew comic stuff but then like you know i got into graphic design and i wanted to start drawing again and because we kind of live in the greatest time ever to be a comic creator i just googled stuff (laughs) because like back in the day if you wanted to make comics you had to move to new york and hope someone could look at like a crazy actual portfolio but now it's like it was you know it's easy you google like what what how do you get into comics like what shows are around me what conventions can i go to and uh, I went to, you know, I started making mini comics and, uh, you know, met some people who, you know, encouraged me to do a web comic. And that's, that's how Ninja Sword, uh started. And, um, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky because it's, it's a lot easier now <laughs> than it used to be. But, yeah, I just started going to shows and selling comics. Well, spe- specifically for Cleo, um, again, I've, you know, I've been wanting to do comics ever since I was a kid. Um, probably because of Calvin Hobbes. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of came from the webcomic world. I did a webcomic for a few years called Cow and Buffalo, and then it was more of a you know, strip-style, Sunday, you know, Sunday comic-style kind of comic. 
I want to do something a little bit more. I had this character Cleo, that you know Cleopatra in space that I created. So I started a comic with her, and started putting it on the web, just like one page a week. And when I had enough issues, I put together these sort of mini comics of like the first chapter and then the second chapter. And I had already been in sort of in, because of Cow and Buffalo and some like other things uh, have been sort of within the comic um, industry, just sort of self published. Where I felt like you know I was I was going to conventions, I was showing my stuff. Where I felt confident enough, where I could you know get tables at shows, and um, went to San Diego and had a table at San Diego, which I to, you know I was like that's the you know the pinnacle place to you know you know have yourself to, you know, your, your 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 comics displayed. Had uh, both uh, the first chat the first two mini comics of Cleopatra in Space that I had done from the web. Um, it was a, a guy named uh, Ed Massessa from Scholastic Book Fairs who saw it and said, I think this will be good for book fairs. And I'm like, oh, all right, well, you know, that'll be 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, didn't really think anything of it until um, the week after I got back from San Diego, I got a call from David Saylor, who's the director of the graphics division. And he's like, uh, yeah, Ed showed me your, your books. Um, we think it'd be a really great fit. Would you think about retooling as a graphic novel uh, series for, you know, for, for the graphics? And I was like, yes, <laughs> I think I would like to do that. Um, which, which, which was great because the webcomic format for the story I was telling, this week-to-week thing, was just it, the, the story was going to take forever to end. Um, so that's sort of how the books came about, and it still had to um, put together a pitch. Um, had to like this would be what the story is, and I outlined everything, and it was like a big. Tw- you know, I had to do like the first twenty pa- draw the twenty pages of story, so they knew what it would look like, um, and that still had to go through an editor and an acquisition. So it wasn't like a clear. It took about a year from that phone call to actually them accepting the book. Um, but there was a lot of work that went into it. I mean, it, it, sometimes it sounds like it's the right place, right time, but there's a lot of work that goes into having that one place, right time. If I didn't do the work, if I didn't feel like I could get a table at San Diego, um, it wouldn't have happened. And it took a lot of years and um, a lot of drawing to, to get to that point. And I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just, I feel very blessed that um, I'm able to just do this for a living now because of that, you know, because of what happened. Well, like uh, Jason was saying, we do live in a really amazing time to create things. Um, I'm a commercial illustrator, uh, and I've been doing so for 12-ish years. Um, and I had never done a comic before. I always wanted to. I thought they were amazing. I know no publishers. I know no, I've basically spent a year getting to know these kind of people. When they're good people. They are. They're very good people. We try. Um, very pale people with beards and glasses, essentially. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this is the very first book I did. I wanted to explore it, um, so I took it to Kickstarter and self-published it, and have been just kind of going to shows, meeting people, um, learning the comic scene. It's very different from what I normally do, which has been a great learning experience. Um, and just, I think what you'll see the pattern with what everybody here is saying is it's all about relationships and it's all about continuing to keep moving forward and continue to keep making things. And, um, you know, like, like Mike just said, it took what a year to get from the phone call to, so, I mean, a year, I mean, it's think about that a year. 
Um, and meanwhile, you know, he's not sitting in the dark. He's, he is what drawing and drawing and writing and probably yeah. crying and screaming at the sky. And I actually, I just kept working on Cleopatra. I started working on, work on the webcomic. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, the lesson for anyone out there that's interested in making comics who is like me and doesn't know anybody and is, you know, really trying to get their feet wet, uh, there's really no excuse to not have something made. Um, you know, Kickstarter is a great platform, and this book is uh, about a year old. And since then, I think um, a lot of other sites, uh, I know Indiegogo is out there, and um, Patreon's out there, and there are so many other great, you know, crowdfunding sites that help people like me make stuff like this. So uh, it's been great learning experience, and I love it, man. It's, it's fun. Am I, um, am I getting into comics? Is, is a little um, different in that I, you know, I was always into comics as a kid, and then I, I moved to sort of Western North Carolina where there weren't any comic shops, and kind of forgot about comics. But uh, went went to school for you know English and creative writing, and um, came out of that you know uh, having having learned not to write any any genre comic stuff or any genre stuff ever because uh, that's what they teach you in creative writing class, um, and. I, I got a, a great writing job uh, selling uh, movies at Blockbuster. Um, didn't involve writing at all. Uh, so, and it just happened to be like next to a comic book shop, and I started going back in and, and buying comics. And I thought, you know what? Um, somebody's got to be writing these, right? Like, that's a thing I could do. Like, I, I love these characters. I love this stuff. So, yeah. Um, you know, why don't I do that? So I, I started. Um, writing comics i'm a terrible illustrator unlike most of the people at this uh table um so i i kind of tracked down um an, an artist to work with um was a you know good friend of mine um uh, and we we made uh my first comic series is a series called uh the order of dagonet which uh lasted all of about i think we got six issues out um which is all about a uh like the mythological creatures of Britain return, and the only people who can stop them are the Knights of England, but they're all modern knights, so they're all actors and authors and rock stars and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, our, our fate is in the hands of people like Elton John and Ian McKellen. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, and that was, you know, that was fun. We were doing that, and while I, while I was doing that, I started writing Princeless and you know, for, wrote the first issue, got it illustrated by a friend of mine. It was terrible. Um, but like it, it got kind of in the right hands of, you know, actually I was just getting started up at that point and it was very much what they were looking for. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, my artist had kind of bailed because apparently that's not, he's not making the millions of dollars in comics he thought he would. Um, so he did other stuff. Um, and they set me up with a new artist and it, like we got nominated for some awards, some Eisner awards and stuff. So, you know, that that's doing all right. <laughs> not bad. Yeah. So what is uh what's what's the future hold for you guys? What do we what do we have on the horizon? Jetpacks. <laughs> Jetpacks. <laughs> for all of us. Um I'm working really hard on volume four. Rust is a four volume series, it ends in the fourth volume. Uh so I'm trying to finish that. Uh it's gonna be a little late. Um other than that, that's I, I I have a full-time job. I work in video games, so Rust is something I kind of do on the side. So that's why it happens a little slower than other people. But um, I think that's the the biggest thing I'm working on. But 
there might be some other books that I'm talking about doing with in the Rust world with um, the current story with the publisher in order to kind of hold fans over. Um, we were talking about doing soft cover and stuff like that and some things that we could add to that that would help, you know, gain some interest while I buy some time to work on volume four. So. Um, volume four of Merman is coming out in September. Um, and uh, that's that's the main thing that I'm working on these days. Uh, my wife and I do some freelance coloring and stuff, but uh, yeah, Merman in September. Look out for me in SpongeBob Comics because I'm pretty frequent uh, contributor to that. Um, everything from like one-page gags to ten-page stories. I do a lot of writing for them and occasionally draw the stories as well. And you're in the uh, this year's Free Comic Book Day issue that came out. Yeah, I did the back cover yeah. to the this year's SpongeBob Free Comic Book Day. Uh, the future holds for me a new baby, so <laughs> I'll be taking uh, some time off from comics. But I'm gonna, you know, try to keep going. I'm uh, I'm actively trying to uh, to stay into comics. I have some pitches in some places, and you know, hopefully that stuff will turn out. But uh, Ninja Sore's got one more issue before the the current storyline ends, and at that point, I'll decide if I want to keep it going or what to do with it. I don't know. But yeah, I've actually I started a new comic that I'm trying to decide if I if I can you know if I want to draw that. <laughs> it's it's tough because you know like I, you know I got a job you know full time graphic design and uh, freelance illustration, so it's you know comics is very much a you know a passion for all of us. It's not easy to make a living at it, so it's. But yeah, we're, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trying. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just I'm in the middle of coloring the the third Cleo book, um, which is, is it's also taken me a long time to, to to get that one done. It's 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 a it's been an ordeal, but um, I mean it is Cleo is pretty much what I do work on. But I I was I think I was telling somebody it's like I I'm not getting any faster at doing it. I just keep becoming a, you know, I think better at what I'm doing. So I keep creating more and more challenging things for myself to do, which makes each book keep longer and longer. Um, but yeah, working on that. Um, I hope to finish that uh, hopefully by the fall because I have to jump right into working on the fourth book in order to meet meet my uh, annual deadlines because um, I want each book to come out you know every every April. And then uh, hopefully those sell well enough that I can do books five and six. So who knows? And then there might be some stuff that comes up that surprises me, <laughs> keeps me busy. So we'll see. Uh, I'm working on the second book, uh, and I'll sell it for a million dollars, and that's <laughs> all I've got written down. So <laughs> that's a good plan. Thanks. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Uh, the third volume of Princeless just wrapped up, in which we we actually introduced a, a new character who's going to have a, an ongoing series of her own uh, from Action Lab as well. It starts in July, called the Pirate Princess, um, and then. Um, this month, the fourth volume of Princeless started up uh, on Wednesday, um, and that is uh, going to be running through September with a trade coming out in October. Um, I've got, like, I just finished a four-issue story arc of, of writing for uh, for My Little Pony. I've got another story, like, one-off story in that that's coming out at the same time, and hopefully another one that gets approved by Hasbro so I can write that. Um and then I've got my uh, my first Marvel story coming out in uh, uh, 
Secret Wars, Secret Love in in uh, in August. So I'm, I'm doing a uh, Misty Knight and Iron Fist story, which I'm really excited about. I guess we have time for a couple questions. There's a ton of people on the panel, so <laughs> it runs us down a little. Sure. So when you were talking about um, having to edit yourself, it made me just remember how, like, practically all the... If you look, look at the net, the Amazon page for Rain and Telgemeier's drama, which I think I might teach next semester, practically all the negative reviews are complaining about how it has homosexuality in it. And I've also been hearing a few recent stories about, like, there was that, that case in California where a student tried to censor a bunch of comics from... or to get a bunch of comics banned from her local community college. So... What I'm at, so I guess the question is, like, have you all encountered any attempts to censor your work, or is that something you've ever had to deal with? And could you maybe speak to that? My editor at SpongeBob Comics said something that, that stuck with me once where he said, it's a lot easier to, uh, like, go for it and really, like, write something that's kind of out there and pushing it and then and then have your editor or whoever tell you to pull back than to start with an already sort of muted dull idea um so you know i i try to think that way and and um you know but i've gotten sort of more comfortable with what he accepts and things like that and then as for out in the world like occasionally i'll come across a, a review that'll say Merman seems good for kids, but it has some fighting in it. And it's just kind of like, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it, it's you're not going to be able to please everyone, unfortunately. The new comic I was working on, I was trying to decide whether or not I should make a poop joke. And I don't have an editor, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to make a poop joke. <laughs> that, that's about the only censorship I've had to deal with. Yeah, yeah like, uh, surprisingly, with My Little Pony, like, I've never had Hasbro, like, censor anything. All of their notes are generally really boring. Um, they're like, ah, oh, we're probably going to do something with this in the show, so don't don't do that. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll do something else. It is very little to like fight with them about. So um, that's been that's been fairly easy. Uh, we'll see. I don't know how long it's going to take before somebody boycotts Princeless because it's going to happen eventually. You know, it's a, representation is a big thing in in the book, so I'm sure something's going to rub somebody the wrong way at some point. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Any other questions? Okay, sure. Uh, as parents of a nine-year-old girl, we're very keen to find comics that have um, female main characters and protagonists, and uh, we've enjoyed Princeless and Cleopatra in Space immensely, so we're following those two series. Uh, so we want to thank you for your, for, your art, uh, for your art in that. And for the rest of you, who, um, for anyone who hasn't considered doing a female main character, would you in the future? Um, because I think this is an underserved audience, and I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts about if you'd consider doing that in the future, and also... Uh, if you could touch upon the state of uh, girl characters in comics and where that's at and where you think it's headed um, as far as the diversity. Um, I've, I've struggled with that question a little bit because I'm, I, want, like, I, I want comics for everybody in that way, and I grew up at a time when comics were for boys, and that was it. I love where we're going with comics, that there is really something for everybody 
um, and uh, sitting next to Nate Simpson on Arst Alley, and he is a girl protagonist in his book, even though it's not an all ages book. And he was like, "I guess I need to like show that to people because it's important these days." And I said, "Yeah, you do." Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I struggle with it is that all my books, all, even in the stories that I that I have in the back of my mind, they all seem to be about young boys. And I thought about that for a long time. Like, should I should I try to reach out into other characters, um, genders, and ages? The stories that I come that come from me are like based on that those those passionate you know engaging moments of imagination that come from my childhood when I was a boy, and uh, that's really what all my stories are about. And and somebody told me once that you need to write what you know. So I only know what I want to read as an eight year old boy, and that's kind of who I'm writing for. And I'm ecstatic when I find out that girls like my book, you know. Um, but I have to kind of just keep doing, you know, writing for that little version of me. Um, and that might shut me out of some exciting opportunities. But, you know, I, I can't really compromise my, um, you know, kind of what drives me. But I think we're in a really, really great time. And I feel like it's probably only going to get better. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I think I think for a lot of the similar reasons that you were saying, I, I, I don't naturally... Uh, envision uh, stories uh, with a main protagonist being a girl, but I do think that it is important, and I do think that um, I wouldn't be opposed to writing that. It would just I would want it to feel natural and not like I was forcing it, right? Um, but I found within Merman, um, I had uh, there is a girl character who in the first book is, has a pretty minor role, but like. I wasn't expecting to do, uh, she was just going to be another one of the classmates of the kids, and she just had like a couple lines here or there. But I liked her so much that she has become a full like cast member that ha- is continuing to go on their adventures outside of the school and things like that. And she's one of my favorite characters. And um, I, I do see that as a possibility that in the future, after I'm done with Merman, I could... Uh, write a story for a girl it just it would I would want to do it because it seemed right for the story and it seemed like something I would want to do not uh, out of out of a feeling of obligation two of uh, two of the pitches I've worked on recently have uh, female protagonists and it's that's not something I've I've worked on before and I really hope that those books get to happen because it's something I have a, a, a three-year-old daughter so it's it's something I think about a lot so I, I, I hope those get like one is all ages and, and one is, is not. It's kind of a, a mature title actually. But um it's you know, it's something I, I care about and think about and I, I hope I get to do. Yeah. Well I mean for for Cleo, um when I when I started when I started this comic, I honestly I didn't even think about, you know, girls in mind as, you know, a primary readership. I was just thinking of just everybody. Um because I was in to female characters, and I'm a boy, so to me it didn't really make any difference. And my son, um, I mean, he's only you know three and a half now, but he could care less if the if the character is like he's he's more the Minnie Mouse than Mickey Mouse, you know. So, um, so it's just kind of the nature of the book that um, I I sort of write a female character um, for boys and girls is kind of you know my idea, and um, I try to try, stay true to it. Um, I think I was fortunate to grow up with two sisters and a, and a huge family of um, female cousins <laughs> that I was surrounded to, with 
constantly as a child. So um, hopefully I get some of the voices correct. But uh, yeah, I always I, I think it's very important to have a strong female protagonist in this world and somebody that, that girls can look up to and and emulate, you know, in the future. But also not to I think a lot of times. And especially as, as we're, we're going into this new age of a lot of, of, of female-centric characters, um, not to water them down, um, keep them real, um, make them have problems, have them struggle, um, do things that are wrong, do things that parents might not like to see a character do, um, but then have them grow. And a lot of times they start off as like perfect sort of embodiments of what uh, we want we, or what we feel um, girl or a female, you know, whoever should be. And I think that's, that's where we get off track. And, but I think we're moving, in, we're definitely moving in a, in a positive direction. And there's some great stuff that's creeping up, maybe not just for all ages, but, like, um, just even through the Marvel and DC books, things are really, uh, things are looking bright. And I'm really happy to, to see what's kind of coming up. Um, I think we're. Well, I don't know, if we're all talking. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, I you know, kind of going back to like, one, my book is so stupid that it's really like there was no thought into anything about it. Um, I mean, it's written in English and there's like a story, but that's about the the level of it. Um, but again, you know, I I, I want to go back to I, I keep talking about Big Bird, but I remember growing up and I had no idea if Big Bird was a boy or a girl. Um, and I really respond to characters that are just so gentle and there's not really any kind of a gender bias going on. Uh, I don't know. I, I, the humor just comes out and the personality comes out. Um, a lot of the Muppets are, are very gender neutral. And, and I would even argue that like SpongeBob, I realize he's, he is a guy and he's, you know, wears a little bow tie and stuff. But I don't think of him as boy or girl. He's just a SpongeBob. Um, so that's that's kind of what my characters are, are all about. Um, you know, I, shame on me for maybe not putting more thought into it. But honestly, my stories are so stream of conscious that it's amazing that they have a beginning and an end. So. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've I've made the joke on panels before that I'm a I'm a 31 year old man who writes uh, books about princesses and ponies, and sometimes ponies who are princesses. Um, and I'm kind of fine with that. Um, like I enjoy writing female characters. Um, I I feel like I could write nothing but female characters in every book that I ever write from this point on, and like it would never catch up with the gender divide that's you know in in comics that exists right now. Like uh, all of us could, I think, <laughs> and, and never never catch up with just the sheer number of like. Uh, comics are about guys punching things um, but like that's you know that, that's in a lot of cases those are characters that speak to me those are characters that are interesting and uh, unfortunately in a lot of cases those are are both audiences and characters that are underserved and that a lot of cases like I enjoy working on stuff that like people haven't been whittling away at ceaselessly for how old is Superman now 75 years like I was talking to an editor. I was like, I have no interest in writing Superman or Batman, but like Wonder Woman, who I feel like still just doesn't like people just don't get her. Like, I I would love to write Wonder Woman. So you know, that's 
I, I think it's some combination of like those are the characters I like and those are the characters that unfortunately are not well defined in a lot of cases. Well, I'd like to thank everybody on the panel for joining us. Um, I'd like to thank you guys in the audience for joining us as well. Uh, you guys are all going to be headed back down to the comm floor. So you guys, any further questions or any more discussions or if you have any interest in some of the books up here, they'll be down there and they'll be happy to talk to you. They'll be happy to sell you stuff. And uh, just thank you guys for being out here and, and being part of this panel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.